0: The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who was responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, "'Do not let us die for taking this man's life. "'Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, "'for you, Lord, have done as you pleased.' "'Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, "'and the raging sea grew calm. "'At this the men greatly feared the Lord, "'and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord "'and made vows to him. "'Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, "'and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights.'
1: Thanks, Ellie. Well, uh, as we uh, come to look at this uh, part of God's Word, will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you and uh, praise you for your Word to us, and we ask that you give us insight and understanding. We ask that, that we would grow to know you better, to love you more, and to respond to you with trust and obedience. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, story of Jonah is, is a great story. It's got all the elements that make up a good story. There's suspense, there's drama, there's action, there's I mean, a boat at sea in the raging storm, a huge fish that swallows a man alive. It's, it is a great story. And uh, really, it's a, a favourite amongst kids' Bible stories. But, you know, some would be inclined to, to leave it at that, to say, look, it's, it's just a good story to fill up children's books. It's just something that we should, you know, we're not to take too seriously, too, too literally. And I mean, after all, perhaps it's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? A person swallowed by a fish and surviving inside the fish for three days. And some are sceptical about this story of Jonah. I wonder what you make of the story. But then in the face of that scepticism, others have pointed to, well, more recent accounts of a, of a kind of modern-day Jonah Apparently in uh, February 1891, uh, a whaler called James Bartley uh, was trying to harpoon a large sperm whale in the South Atlantic Ocean. Things went wrong. He was knocked overboard and went missing. They captured the whale. They killed it and started to dissect it. And when they reached the, the whale's stomach, believe it or not, they found Bartley unconscious but alive inside the whale's stomach. I wonder what you make of that, this James Bartley's story. It's, uh, it's been used to supposedly provide evidence for the credibility of the Jonah story. But then when you look into the James Bartley story, it seems that, well actually, it's most probably entirely made up. There's no evidence to support that it actually happened and in fact there's, well there's strong evidence to point us in the other direction to say that James, the James Bartley story is in fact a bit fishy. But then we've got Michael Packard, the lobster diver, who in June this year, on a routine diving expedition, uh, suddenly found himself inside the mouth of a humpback whale, only to then be spat out again, largely unharmed and living to tell a whale of a tale. Thanks guys, it's good to have some laughter in the room. Can you believe it? And what about Jonah? Can we believe it? Did, Did it really happen? I think how we answer that question says something not just about our view of big fish, but also about our view of God. Because we can come at this story with, um, well, certain assumptions about God. And what I want us to do this morning is to examine our assumptions about God, to to think about who God is. I want us to look at what this book of Jonah teaches us about God, because actually this book of Jonah is, is not about a big fish. It's about a big God. The fish actually is a really minor player. He only gets a mention twice. But God, who he is, what he does, he, he dominates these chapters. This book tells us some very important things about our God. And this is what I hope that we'll, that we'll see, that we'll discover, that we'll be reminded of, that we'll be challenged by, that we'll be refreshed by as we turn our attention to this great little story about a, a big fish and a much bigger God. Now, as we come to this, uh, this book, a little bit of background. Uh, Jonah was a prophet in Israel. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that he was a, the son of a man called Amittai. And uh, elsewhere in 2 Kings, uh, chapter 14, verse 25, it mentions this, this same Jonah, son of Amittai, who was a prophet who lived around 750 BC. Uh, he lived during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And so what we're dealing with here is a, is a real person. And we're dealing with real places. Uh, the places mentioned in the story are uh, Nineveh, and you can see a map there. Nineveh was the capital city of one of Israel's enemies, Assyria, uh, off to the northeast of, of Israel. It talks of, uh, of Joppa, which is a port city on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and, and Tarshish, which was way off to the west in what is now Spain. That's just to to orient us as we, uh, as we dive into this book, just to make a bit of a splash. Um, Humour is really sinking to new depths this morning. Well, three things about, uh, about our God, our big God, that I want us to see from Jonah chapter 1. Uh, firstly, God is against wickedness. God is against wickedness. And Nineveh was a wicked place. And so God sent Jonah Verse 2 says, God spoke, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 2 Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was not a very pleasant place, to, to put it mildly. That's a complete understatement. Uh, a couple of pages over in, in, your, in the Bible, in Nahum chapter 3. Just turn over in your Bible uh, past the book of Micah. You get to Nahum. In chapter 3, it's, uh, it's describing Nineveh. In verse 1, it says, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. It, it goes on to speak of, of piles of dead bodies without number, of, of people stumbling over corpses, of lust, of sorceries, of prostitution. Nineveh was a, was a place of wickedness. God saw this. He acted to, to stop them, to, to do something about it. He sent Jonah to preach against them, to warn them. God doesn't just let things slide. God takes sin seriously. Now, we may not be particularly comfortable with the idea that, that God judges people. We, we may think, well, shouldn't he be more about love and, and kindness rather than judgment and, and punishment? Another way of thinking is common even amongst Christian circles, but that way of thinking fails to grasp and acknowledge the, the horror of sin. Which is why, when, well, when we're confronted by things like the, the horrors going on in Afghanistan or, or, or domestic violence, or when we're confronted by, by murder and corruption and lying and theft, the, I mean, if you think about it, you don't have to think for too long, there is a lot, a lot of, to use Jonah's word, wickedness. Going on in our world. And when we're confronted by that, well, we want God to do something about it. We we don't want him to just let things slide. See, it's actually a very good thing that God is against wickedness, that he cares, that that he does something about it, that he brings judgment. Now, God can bring judgment in a number of ways. Sometimes he brings judgment in the in the here and now. Romans 1 speaks of God judging people. For their sin by handing them over into their sin leaving them to the swamp of the of the sin that they've so foolishly chosen that's part of God's judgment At other times God judges people for their sin in specific ways like what he he threatened to do here with Nineveh but the main way that God deals with people's wickedness lies in the future the Bible speaks of the the coming day of God's wrath of a day of Reckoning when Jesus will return, when we'll all face God in judgment. God's not going to just let things go on unchecked forever. He will bring people to justice. That's a a good and right and proper thing. But you know, there's a warning embedded in that too, isn't there? That is, he won't leave our wickedness unchecked either. Now, we may not like to think of ourselves as, as wicked people, but you know, perhaps I should use a different word. I mean, the word wicked has kind of shifted in its meaning. You know, maybe you are a totally wicked dude. M- maybe, you know, we might like to say, look, I, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a child abuser. I'm not a terrorist. But, but then we can't say we've lived a perfect life. We can't say we've never lied to improve our situation for others, that we've, we've never taken or, no, no, borrowed something that wasn't really ours. We can't say that we've never been greedy or discontent or longed to have that that something for, for ourselves, that we've never acted in selfish ways, we've always obeyed God in how we've lived. We, we can't say that. So there's a problem. I mean, we may put ourselves fairly high up on the scale of, from bad to good, but if we do, we're, we're kidding ourselves because on God's scale, all of us fall way short of living the way that he's created us to. So there's a massive problem. There's a, there's a gulf between us and God. And that gulf is called our wickedness, our rebellion, our sin. And God in his holiness and purity is rightly against our wickedness and sin. We need a clear grasp of God's holiness and therefore our unholiness if we're going to understand God and ourselves and this world. That's foundational. That's the first point that this teaches about God, that he is against wickedness. Secondly, this story of Jonah teaches us that that God is in control. Uh, God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah uh, Jonah didn't want to go. And so what did he do? He headed in completely the opposite direction. Jonah aimed for as far away from Nineveh as he could. But it wasn't just Nineveh that he was running away from. He was trying to flee from the Lord Verse 3 says this twice, it says there, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Literally, it's from the presence of the Lord, the Lord whose whose presence dwells in his holy temple, as chapter 2 says. And And he flees from the Lord. And as he does that, he's fleeing in a downward direction. It's kind of not as obvious in the NIV translation, but you see it in the ESV, which I'll we'll put up on the screen here. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it. In verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. And you see this, this downward spiral continue in chapter 2. But I don't want to steal Ben's thunder for next week. Jonah tries to flee from the presence of the Lord as he heads down. But as the saying goes, you can run, but you can't hide. You can't hide from God, the, the, the sovereign God who is in control. The story makes that point um, again and again, that, that God is in control. Um, God sends the storm, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea such that uh, a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Literally, it says the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. This is the God who is in control. It makes me think of that, um, that old movie, The Truman Show. Maybe I'm showing my age here. You know, Truman lives his, his whole life, unbeknown to him, within the movie set of his own TV show. And towards the end, he's, he's out on his boat on the lake and, and the director, this godlike character who controls his life, he orders some special weather for him. He churns up the sea. He's in control of everything around him. It's a bit like that, except that this is not some sort of virtual reality. This is reality. God does, in fact, control the weather, he sends the storm. The sailors cry out to their own so-called gods with no effect they try to lighten the the ship by throwing the cargo overboard but God is in control meanwhile Jonah has gone down below deck and and he's asleep and the captain verse 6 the captain went to him and said how can you sleep get up and call on your God maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish I think it's a fascinating detail that That this pagan captain is challenging Jonah to call on his God for salvation. The captain seems closer to the mark than Jonah. Well, then the sailors cast lots to try to find out who's responsible, and the lot falls on, unsurprisingly, Jonah. Again, God is in control, even of so called random things like drawing straws. They ask, Who are you? Who is your God? And Jonah's answer in verse 9, here is the centrepiece of the chapter. He said, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. God controls the sea and the land because he made the sea and the land. He controls all. So much so that when you, if you fast forward a little bit in the story, after trying to row back to the land, And failing to do that because, well, because God's in control. Out of sheer desperation, the sailors take Jonah's advice. They reluctantly throw him overboard. And and what happens? Verse 15, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. Or literally, they, they hurled him upon the sea, just as the Lord had hurled a great wind upon the sea. And what happens? The raging sea grew calm. God is in control. And it doesn't stop there. Uh, Jonah has seemingly met his watery end, sinking to the depths, when it says God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. He is in control of the fish too. This book of Jonah presents us with a picture of God, the God who who is in control. He is God. He is in control of us and of our world. I don't know how that sits with you. It should actually be a great comfort to us that, that we're not left to, to random chaos where, where stuff just happens, but it, actually God is in control. Now, because we live in a fallen world, there is much that is, that is not good in this world, and we may be all too painfully aware of, of that reality. But even in the midst of that, God is still sovereignly working out his good purposes for his people. Our world, our lives are in the hands of our sovereign God. And that brings us to, to the third thing that Jonah chapter 1 tells us about our big God. And that is that he is a saving God. He's not some sort of temperamental, cranky, capricious, random divine despot. No, he takes sin seriously and he does deal with wickedness and sin. He is against Nineveh in their rebellion. He is definitely against Jonah's rebellion. But he is the God who saves. You see that here, that he he saves the sailors. I mean, even though they're foreigners outside of God's chosen people of Israel, even though they don't know about him and they're enthusiastically worshipping their other gods, he he mercifully saves them. And he saves Jonah. Even though he's a ratbag rebel who has blatantly disobeyed the direct uh, command of God, God saves him. God didn't have to. I mean, he could have just sent the storm, wrecked the ship, and drowned a lot of them. Wouldn't make much of a story. Certainly wouldn't make the, uh, the children's storybook Bible, uh, I imagine. But, but that outcome would have been just and fair. But God is not only just and fair. He's also a God who saves. And in the same way, he saves us. Even though we have failed to live, as he calls us to, even though we've run away from God in all sorts of ways, God, out of his love for us, saved us. He provided for us his son, Jesus, to to take us from the depths of our own guilt and sin, to cleanse and, and forgive and save us, that we would trust and follow him. God is a saving God. So Jonah 1 teaches us, reminds us of our big God, that he is against wickedness, including ours, that he is in control, and that he's a God who saves. God's word in Jonah 1 calls on us to respond. And there are two models for us in this story. There's that of the, the sailors, and there's that of Jonah. And, and both responses have got to do with fear. So the sailors... Um, they didn't know about God. They, were, they weren't Israelites. They were foreigners. And so faced with the, the threat of drowning in the storm, verse 5 says that, uh, that all the sailors were, were afraid and each called out to his own God. They didn't know God, and yet they were, were looking for, for deliverance from above somehow. And three times in the account, we read of the sailors' fear. Uh, in verse 5, faced with the storm, the sailors were afraid. In verse 10, When when Jonah tells them who God is, the God of heaven who made the sea and the the land, it says, verse 10, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. It's an interesting little detail here, isn't it? Jonah had already told them, by the way, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And then in verse 16, when they throw Jonah overboard and the, the raging sea grew calm, their response there, verse 16, at this the men greatly feared the Lord. They could see the power of God, that that he is the one who judges wickedness, who controls all things, and who has the power to save them. And, And notice, with such power, they rightly feared the Lord. But notice also that their fear was accompanied by action. Verse 16 continues, At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They acknowledged who God is, and they and they acted on that knowledge with obedience. Now, for many of you, I know that's, that's your response. You've come to know God, the, the just, sovereign, saving God, and, and you've responded in, in fear and obedience. You've trusted Jesus as your Saviour. And your life, your decisions, your relationships are lived out in obedience to Him. I say, if that's you, well, praise God. Lift your eyes and see afresh who he is, his holy opposition to wickedness, his sovereign control, his gracious salvation. See afresh who your God is and press on to fear and obey him. Follow the example of the sailors. But the other model here is that of of Jonah. Who is Jonah? Well, he's an Israelite. He is from the nation chosen by God. He's a prophet commissioned by God, With a special task. He knows the Lord. As he declared to the sailors in verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship, literally, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He knows God. He supposedly fears God. He's got his theology right, but he doesn't live it out. He tries to run from God. He he sets his course for some place far away from God, far away from God's will for his life. Jonah is a profound hypocrite. There are two responses to God here. There's the sailors and there's Jonah's. I want to ask which one describes you? Are you like the sailors? Do do you fear God? Not in a, a kind of frightened that he's a capricious, nasty God sort of fear, but we, we can trust and rest secure, knowing that he's just, that he's sovereign, that he saves people. We've seen that. That's his character. But we should fear God. We should stop and say, hang on, I'm not God. You are. And therefore, I want you to be God over my life. I, I want you to be God in the way that I relate to my family and how I spend my time and my money and in, in what I do and don't watch on a screen, in the goals I have for my life, in my in my fears in my stresses and anxieties you are god you're the one that i need for salvation you're the one i need to deal with my wickedness you're the one i should rightly fear and obey so we should fear god we should reverence god in that way that's an appropriate way to respond to the god that we meet in jonah 1 the danger is the danger is that we respond we can respond more like jonah We try to leave God out of the picture of just going about life, pushing God aside, leaving him on the shelf and hoping that he'll stay there. He won't. You can't leave the God of the universe on the shelf, the one who made the sea and the dry land, who made you, who made me. I want to say, if you're listening this morning and you're trying to do that, please hear Jonah's warning. Not the warning that he spoke, but the warning that happened to him. Turn back to God while you have the chance. Put your trust in Jesus, the one that, who God has provided to save you. Fear God and put that fear into action. You know, Jonah is, is a little bit like the ancient version of a Sunday Christian. Someone who has the outward signs, who, who goes through the motions on Sunday, manages to convince people that they're okay. Okay. But come the other six days of the week, there's there's very little evidence that they fear God. They hop on board the boat sailing for Tarshish and they're just like any of the other sailors on board. They know God's calling them to take action, to change their behaviour. But they're sailing the other way, hoping God's out of range. Brothers and sisters, hear the warning of Jonah. Don't live the hypocrisy of Jonah, who supposedly feared the Lord but didn't show it in action. God is not fooled even if others around you are. Jonah 1 teaches us of a big God, a God who is dead set against wickedness, who is sovereignly in control of all, and who graciously, patiently saves people, people like you and me. I pray that you will hear and respond to this God as the sailors did. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for who you are, that you are just, you are holy, you are in control, and you are the God who graciously saves. Father, we thank you that you have provided for our salvation, that you have provided Jesus. Father, help us to respond in fear and obedience to trust and follow you. Amen.